Think yeah. about this. What movie would you be surprised to learn that that Oliver Stone wrote, but then f- kind of be like, oh wait, that kind of makes sense. Evita. Well, he actually, well, he worked on it, but the finished movie had no relation uh, to okay. himself. Um, Conan, yeah. I think maybe. No, that makes sense. You know, big muscle man. Well, anyway, welcome to the Wage of Cinema. I am Jack. And oh yeah, I'm Andrew. With me is Andrew, and today we actually have a special guest to chime in on this topic. Uh, he actually, he, you know, we we enjoyed his his contributions very much last time he was here, and incidentally, it's an episode we, about a uh, a kind of auteur who deals with uh, violence and uh, American mayhem and uh, big topics. And we enjoyed him so much that we didn't invite him back for another year. I know, but we enjoy that. But the, he's that special that we bring him back, you know, because he's like if you bring somebody back over and over, they start to lose their, you know, their specialness. You know, you bring back a guy once a year, it's like oh my god. And oh, yeah. it's with that in mind, we bring back uh, a filmmaker and author uh, Romney Rosario. Thanks, guys. I'm back. I'm back for, yeah. the, for that one guy who was following us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fernando, his name was? Yeah, thanks, guy. Thanks, yeah. Fernando. Thanks, man. I'm back, by the way. Yes. Uh, and um, But it's a very special episode, and um, and something which I, I think can fall under our required reading label. 
uh, because this episode nicely coincides with um, a new book that just came out by uh, a really wonderful author um, and somebody who I'm happy to call an acquaintance, I guess, uh, Matt Zoller Seitz, who uh, writes for uh, RogerEber.com. Actually, he's the editor-in-chief of RogerEber.com. He's editor for uh, New York Magazine. Uh, he's on podcasts. He's on all sorts of things. But he's written... Probably the book about Oliver Stone called The Oliver Stone Experience. And this is a book that is huge. Uh, you could probably kill somebody with this book because it's really heavy. You'd probably do it in an Oliver Stone film, too. <laughs> yes, it would come back and to the left, back and to the left, back and to the left, back and to the left. Um, so, yeah, and this is a book that is chronicling... It, it's interesting because Matt Zoller Seitz has said that he's described this as an Oliver Stone movie about Oliver Stone, but it's a book. He has a great gotcha. way with words, this guy. It's a yeah. three-hour three epic. Creative yeah. license was taken. Dramatic license was taken. Yes, and, and also... the director's cut will be out <laughs> in one year and then two years after that. Yes, he... Uh, Actually, the the interesting thing. So I've now I haven't I wasn't able to finish the whole book before recording, but I read most of it. And I mean, again, it's a big book. It's one of those books that he also put out a book about Wes Anderson called the Wes Anderson Collection, and it's in a similar style where it's mostly essays and a, you know very long interviews with the director, but it also has gigantic splashy stills and pictures from the movies. You see a lot of things from Oliver Stone's own personal archives. You see uh, screenplay excerpts, uh, things that he wrote that never got produced, um, you know, little, like, little treatments or projects that never even got fully made, but then became things, like, later on. Like, there was a, like, for example, there was, like, a project that he wanted to do about uh, um, an uprising in Guatemala in the 50s, which I guess wow. later on became Salvador in a way, yeah, but not quite. Um, and uh, and so it's just filled with so many great... Them. The other interesting thing, though, there are times in interviews where parts are redacted. In an interview? Yeah, well, not not just... like In a lot of the interviews that Sites conducts with Oliver Stone, certain blocks of text, you just see black lines... <laughs> Uh, and it's not it's an interesting oh my choice. god they really are saving up for the director's cut of the book aren't they <laughs> we can't give them this now yeah yeah no the, the readers won't understand it the thing i find fascinating and i'd love to, to ask the author about this is that you know if you didn't if, if you couldn't maybe there are certain legal reasons maybe if you have certain names or incidents or things that you couldn't reveal publicly even in a book right like you, you know, they need to be taken out but why not just take them out you know but instead you leave these sections that show the redactions i think that's part of it being the quote oliver stone movie <laughs> about oliver stone <laughs> that you have like these sections which it's like nixon when the, the, the transcripts you can't uh, show this you can't write this right we can't show this henry we, we have to we have to make sure everything is redacted right there's now. a gap in these interviews <laughs> yeah it's an 18 minute gap yeah <laughs> <laughs> where are the tapes yeah that's basically what they're doing in this book um but it's a fascinating book it's just it chronicles a whole artistic life and uh, and I, I can't recommend it enough, but it kind of leaps off to, for me to talk about, uh, 
you know Oliver Stone's films and his impact on my life in some ways. And it's interesting because I don't think he, I wouldn't say he's one of my very favorite directors. Oddly enough, I've been building this up and up and up. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, you're right. Now, the thing is, here's the thing. Certain filmmakers will have, like, a run of films that are just, you, you know, they're almost uncontestable to their quality. And, you know, seeing an artist at kind of like a peak level uh, in a certain way. Um, now, there are some exceptions. There are filmmakers who maybe will just make one great film, and then I'll be it. Maybe they do moderately one thing here that's really good one thing here it really sucks um maybe i'm not Shyamalan's example of that um but then you also have spielberg and scorsese and woody allen who put out consistently great work over many decades oliver stone has kind of maybe 15 years hmm. where he is incredible starting from salvador in 1986 all the way up to any given sunday in 1999 and of course, there may be an argument for Alexander, which we will get to eventually. Oh yeah. Um, but like in that period of, of of years, this guy put out a, at least for ten years, like a good movie a year on average. Uh, now, since then, have has his quality dropped off? Maybe arguably, but he's still a, a major force to be reckoned with artistically. He's somebody who has put out work that has been vital to kind of challenging a lot of the American experience or what is taught to be that. Now, can you disagree with the sometimes things that he says? Yes. Right. I think that he puts out things in some of his movies that you just go, now wait a minute. Oh yeah, I was doing a lot of that last night. <laughs> but we'll get to that a little later. We'll we should get started with uh, some of his films. Should we yeah, not? absolutely. Now... It's interesting because he started out, um, well, obviously he went to Vietnam. Uh, so, uh, that's no wonder there. That's pretty much one of the benchmarks of his life. That comes up a lot in the book, too. That's something that Matt Zorsites returns to quite a bit. He went twice, that, I believe, right? Well, no, no, a lot. Oh, a lot, okay. It seems like, well, he. it's not that everything has to do with Vietnam. It's not like he's Walter from The Big Lebowski or something like that. Oh, yeah. But it's more like... <laughs> A lot of his Vietnam experience, it does inform or kind of confirm, like, a lot of things about him and his approach to America and, rea and right, yeah. sort of what we, what America, the American government and powers that be do in influencing things and trying to make things uh, a certain way. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't make sense the way I'm phrasing it. But let's start at near the beginning. He gets out of Vietnam eventually he if he, he feels really messed up and he decides you know what i was going to originally be an author and it's interesting in the book it tells the story how he originally went to yale like he was he grew up in kind of wealth like he he had he came from a family that had some money uh it wasn't like super rich but he you know he was pretty well off and he went to yale he dropped out because he wanted to become an author with bush right he was in yale with bush uh briefly yeah i mean i don't know if he crossed paths with them too much it i think was... they weren't they weren't exactly in the same circles oh, yeah. um hello future filmmaker hello, hello future president <laughs> yes they say that to each other as they pass yeah. each other in the halls it's or, yale it's different when w came out he mentioned that yes were, yeah. yeah but uh um he wanted to become an author and he wrote this book called a child's night dream or child night's dream and 
he even had an in with somebody at Simon and Schuster or oh, something, wow. or his fa- or his father did because his father was a Wall Street broker, which we'll also get back to. But the book was rejected, okay. and he decided he actually threw like half the book into the East River, <laughs> and then decided, okay, I'm going to join and go in Vietnam. So he took a real sharp left turn. Oh, from, that's that's dramatic. Yes, very dramatic. That's like Bruce Wayne deciding and Batman Begins. Okay, I'm gonna just disappear now. Yes. <laughs> and nobody even had to kill Oliver Stone's parents for him to do it. No, and uh, you know he goes to Vietnam. Just his dreams. Yes. <laughs> Martha. No, I'm playing. Martha. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, and Oliver Stone's Batman. Um, where it's all about the <laughs> economic industrial complex. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to see that movie. Bruce It'll Wa- never happen. Bruce Wayne comes back from Nam and becomes Batman. Yes. Yes. <laughs> to fight Wall Street brokers. Actually, actually though, now you're talking. Now I just want to see an Oliver Stone Punisher movie. There you go. There you go. Or like the Oliver Stone version of The Dark Knight Returns. I think that would work pretty well. Huh. Has he been attached to any comic book? No. Apart from Conan, which is no. that is that comic? Yeah, no. One. Conan. No, they made Conan. They, comics. they have made Conan comics, but not before oh, the okay. Conan film. Conan I, was like a I, pulp they novel. They had comic books of oh, Conan, I they, didn't they? I don't think so. I think they. Made I don't it. think that was, but I don't think that was co- what Conan was known for. It okay. was kind of a comic book movie in its way. It, was, right. it was more well, like all right. All right, well, we'll get into that later. Oh, sorry. So, um, a, it, it, yeah. so he goes to film school. He decides, all right, I'm, I kind of find movies interesting, and I, I've been told that you can actually go to school for movies, that you can just sit in and watch movies in a class? That sounds amazing. Yeah. And he goes to NYU, and who happens to be there? Martin Scorsese. Bring it back around to Romney being here. That's yeah. a little touch. Um, and he's just like he's asked in the book, so what did you, th- what did you think of Scorsese? Norberstone's like, oh, he's nuts. <laughs> he was a complete crazy New Yorker, but he was funny. And you know, he he always he said like he, his impression of him was that like he always came in had like hair hanging over his eyes, <laughs> wow. and like he was always really out of it because he was staying up all night to watch movies on TV. <laughs> and so he'd come in like teach a class, but he would just be like, none of you are doing good work. You're all like unoriginal. And like, but all except he used. 2,000 more words to do it. Yeah, he probably went off on people a lot. That's the impression Oliver Stone gives. Except that Oliver Stone eventually, then, he made a short film kind of dealing with some, like, his alienation and weird feelings just coming back from Nam called Last Year in Vietnam or something. And it's just, like, him as, like, a guy in a, like, a room kind of sitting around, and then he's walking around, like, a city. It's kind of, it's one of these experimental movies, but Scorsese was seeing this and once it ended, he's like, now here's a filmmaker. Oh, wow. Ooh. Yeah. So Oliver Stone's like, oh, that's cool. Um, now, he gets out of NYU, and here's a fascinating thing. And this goes, this is something connected with the book. His very first uh, film credit is for a movie called Sugar Cookies. Now, this is a movie re- co-written and produced by Lloyd Kaufman of Troma Entertainment. Oh, yeah, I know that guy. And apparently, I actually almost forgot about this, that they were, like, friends as kids. Like, apparently. You would not believe this, but Lloyd Kaufman and Oliver Stone were friends as kids. And 
Um, and Lloyd Coffin brings this up in his book. Uh, all everything I wanted to know about movies, I learned from Toxic Avenger. I that's think that was the name. That's but, right. Yeah. And but but in the book, Oliver Stone totally does not give Lloyd Kaufman any mention at all. <laughs> it feels a little bit like a burn, and to me, or maybe not. Maybe he's because he was just like a friend I knew got me onto this uh, porno movie called Sugar Cookies. <laughs> Which I, I haven't seen Sugar Cookies, but by the title, it sounds. Pretty, it was a basically a low, super low budget exploitation movie. Yeah, look it up now. Is he acting it as well? No, no, he was just an associate producer. Oh, okay. okay. That's but that's his first real okay. screen credit, nineteen seventy three. Um, at this time, he's also writing a lot of scripts. Like he's trying to make it as a screenwriter. At this point, seventy three, you said. Well, in the seven early seventies. Oh, okay, okay. And it's fascinating because the very first time, like he tried to do a version of Platoon. It was much more surrealistic, and the way it's described, uh, from what I've read, he has a story set in Vietnam, but it involves like a goddess who appears to the soldier and brings him into an underworld. And it sounds very weird. He it was a script called Break, and the the great piece of trivia about this is he wrote the script with Jim Morrison in mind. He, oh yeah, I think I've heard of this. He went to and, to ask him, and he actually sent the script to Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison had this script in his possession when he was found dead in Paris. In the bathtub. Coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, it's like a conspiracy. Yes. It, again, yeah, that, maybe, maybe we should weird. just look at Jim Morrison when he was a patsy. <laughs> But no, it's such, it's so weird that then, of course, then 20 years later, he, he goes and makes the doors. Yeah. But that's one of those nice pieces of trivia. So anyway, then, he makes, uh, he fi- he finally writes Platoon in 1976, actually. Like, he was dealing with all this mental stuff in his head, and he decides, alright, I want to just get this down paper, write realistically. And it actually gets him attention from, like, producers and stuff, like Sidney Lumet is like oh man this guy's cool and uh al pacino is like oh man i want to work with this guy and it almost gets optioned to be directed by Sidney lumet wow but it didn't quite get there it floundered for many many years obviously but then it led to him writing midnight express now have you seen this movie yeah. alan parker directed it uh turkish prison Yes, uh, that's where the term Turkish prison is kind of known for, yeah, is yeah. because of this movie. He's smuggling... He smuggled, He tries weed. to smuggle... I don't know if it's heroin or pot. I think it's but, pot. Yeah. He tries to smuggle pot out of the country. He's caught at the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's thrown into prison. Um, and then he goes to, like, what, 12 years, I think it is? or I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen the movie, but it's it's like it's pretty intense. Like extreme because... torture he goes through. It's like humiliation. They the you know they 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 throw the, the hose on him, and it's like Shawshank only much much worse. If you've ever seen uh, there there's a scene in the movie Cape, Cable Guy with uh, yes. Jim Carrey and Ben Stiller, the girlfriend, does and that. Jim Carrey yeah. is like talking to Matthew Broderick. He got arrested for something, and he. Takes out, t- unbuttons his shirt and goes, I'm here for you. And, and the... puts his nipple up to the glass and goes, yeah, yeah. oh, Billy. <laughs> Billy, yeah, yeah. That's from Midnight Express. Yes. Uh, in the movie, it's the girlfriend who does that. Okay, yes. And I'd forgotten about be- that. Because Billy hasn't been with a woman in, like, years, and so she comes to visit him and does the little pseudo-sexual act 
like through the glass, but he yeah. can't really touch her. Yeah, but, there's a lot of heavy dramatic yeah. stuff in yeah. that movie because again, it's set in prison. Yeah. It's about just basic survival, and John Hurt's in it. I remember. Oh, John Hurt's in everything. <laughs> Is he now? He's like he's like Harry Dean Stanton. He's in everything. He's like. Well, yeah. Well, I guess he is in a lot of stuff. That's true. John Hurt played Jesus in History of the World. Yeah, I remember that. John Hurt, was, yeah. An alien, of course. We were just talking oh, about. Oh yeah, alien. well, alien. Yes. Wow, um, I forgot he was Jesus. V for Vendetta. And of course, the ever-loving Heaven's Gate, which we were talking about. Uh, I posted about it. Yes. But yeah, he's in everything. He's he's everywhere. Yeah. So he wins the Oscar for that. Um, best screenplay. Is, yeah, for Oliver Stone wins for best screenplay. I, 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 so I kind of like Midnight Express, but it's also the kind, not the kind of movie I jump to yeah, rewatch all the time. It's like Schindler's List. Once is enough. Uh, yeah, pretty heavy. much. It's there's heavy. a lot of like, there's a lot of murder in it too. There's yeah. like uh, a lot of pain and misery. What's interesting though is that it came out years later that he actually like in the because in the the story that this guy Billy Hayes tried to tell was. Oh, it was my first time, and I was just smuggling it out. I didn't know what was going to happen, and they caught me. In real life, he actually smuggled three times before that. Oh, okay. And Oliver Stone says in the book, if I had known this about Billy, I would not have written the movie the way I did. (laughs) He lied to me. (laughs) He lied to me. He doesn't say it quite like that, but that's how I picture it. It happens a lot. Um, He he went through a lot of, like, betrayals and... uh, Oliver Stone did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I know it happened with the next movie he wrote, *Year of the Dragon*, I believe. Uh, Chimino. Well, and... well, that was one of them. Uh, in what way do you? Wait, in what way was he betrayed? Basically, uh, you know, promises. They okay, let's make *Platoon* next, but first you got to write this for me. I don't know. Well, actually, in the, I think it was a little bit different than that like Michael Chimino, he because he actually says Michael Chimino was the one who really. Like encouraged him to resurrect Platoon because right, Oliver yeah. Stone went through a period where he was like, eh, nobody's gonna care about this. Nobody wants to see a dour movie about Vietnam. And Michael Chimino yeah. was yeah. like, no, yeah. Vietnam's coming back. You know, Stanley Kubrick is making a movie about Nam. You better recognize. <laughs> you better hurry up because this is about to come out from Little Jacket. Well, they they luckily had an, a lot of time yeah. to make uh, their movie. Because I think he had Platoon and and, the, and Ron Kovic story, uh, Born for the July. Yes, Born the Fourth of July, d- meant for William Friedkin and Al Pacino. And yeah. I believe three weeks before sh- shooting began, it got canceled. Yeah, I, but why I don't know. I think the the backers said no because of it. Sometimes just happens with movies. Yeah, I it don't know. it even happened with another Vietnam movie that Stone tried to put together just like several years ago. It was called like Pinkville about the My Lai massacre. Yeah, he had like this whole thing set up where he want he was gonna make a new Vietnam movie about the My Lai massacre with Bruce Willis. With Bruce Willis, yeah, and then money again... dried up in like two weeks before shooting. Something about Willis sudden just went away at the end, and when he went away... See, I didn't know about that part, but it's weird, though, to think yeah. that a movie with Bruce Willis would lose financing. Or Pacino and Freakin, who at that time were huge. Well, what happened was, though, Freakin actually walked away, and a different director came on. Some oh. other guy, his name was, like, Daniel Petrie or something. I don't really know his oh. work very well. Um, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, and Pacino actually felt a little nervous about this guy. Oliver Stone liked him. Yeah. But then the project just languished, and Ron Kovic was actually really pissed. Like, yeah. there was like a moment where, almost like that scene in Born the Fourth of July where Tom Cruise and Willem Dafoe are like oh, arguing and chasing after one another on their wheelchairs. Yeah. Hmm. Apparently, Ron Kovic chased after 
Oliver Stone was and was like that. He was like, you better make my, you better make my life into a movie. Yeah, well, no, he was like, you promised me, you promised me Al Pacino, <laughs> and literally that. And when all, and when you get promised Al Pacino, you get Al Pacino, and then Oliver Stone was like, I swear to God, if I make it in this industry, I will make this movie. Right. Yeah. And ten years later, he did. I think because Apocalypse Now and Deer Hunter came out, and um, I, th- mm. I guess from what I understand, probably a good point. From what I understand, again, those two movies came out almost back to back. Yeah. And Hollywood was like, we don't want to make any more Vietnam movies. Well, also Coming Home. And Coming Home. That also harmed it a lot because you uh, have you seen Coming Home, Andrew? No, I have not seen it. Um, okay, well, Coming Home is a movie. Uh, why don't you tell people what Coming Home? Is? Um, how Ashby directed it. It's uh, Jane Fonda, John Voight. John Voight goes to Vietnam, comes back like Ron Kovic in a wheelchair, and he falls in love with Jane Fonda, who's the nurse who's taking care of him, I believe. Also, but also with uh, Bruce Dern. Yeah, good old Bruce Dern. They th- uh, good old creepy Bruce Dern. <laughs> like always, Bruce Dern is Jane Fonda's boyfriend or husband, and. They declare him dead or MIA, so she falls in love with John Voight's character. Right. They have an affair, and then turns out, oh, he's alive. Bruce Dern's alive. He comes back That's home. one of the best scenes like I've ever seen, where Bruce Dern confronts Jane Fonda. This is about me! Yeah, he's like, what I'm saying is... Don't you I do not belong in this house! Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says something like that. Yeah. Um, but the point is, though, it was like that movie kind of ripped off Ron Kovic. yeah. Um, so it was like, oh, we already have a Ron Kovic movie. Yeah. That's I, kind of like, well, Kubrick had that happen with Napoleon. Yes, yes, Napoleon. Like, he wanted to make a Napoleon movie, and then, like, Rod Steiger comes along. He's like, I'll be Napoleon. And then they make, like, a Waterloo, Waterloo movie, yeah. and it flopped. And it's like, and then they're like, told Kubrick, yeah, you're not making Napoleon. Nobody right. wants to see these movies. Plus, they made War and Peace also, I believe, right? Then they make War and Peace. Oh, I didn't know about that. So there's a War really? and Peace movie. There out is there. a War and Peace movie. There are a few War and Peace movies. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah I haven't seen any of them. One's from Russia. Yeah, they're getting off track. But then, then uh, he wins the Oscar for the Express. Becomes a gun for hire in the '80s. Um, this is where we get to. So, have you seen Conan? I have seen Conan. Oh, okay. Let me tell you my. We were talking about this a little bit about what Conan is. And Conan, to me, it's not... It's less about the Conan as a book or less about Conan as, like, a, a character in, like, a, a in any sort of media. It's kind of like a Dungeons & Dragons campaign <laughs> that's just been written out into a screenplay. The, the movie, you mean? Yeah. Okay, yeah. It, it feels an awful lot like that because you have this barbarian with a story this he has this epic backstory and he has this character and then he just meets people along the way who just get attached to him and become part of his adventuring party yeah it's, it's funny you say that because Stone was not happy that Milius rewrote his script yeah he well also it's just like the look of the movie he pictured like he said, like, Conan needs to be in, like, green. It needs to be, like, in the jungle. And the Conan movie is set basically, like, in deserts. And, like, yeah. it's very brown and yellow. Desert and, deserts and heaths and, you know, basically just <laughs> rough places. Not yeah. All the green is, like, gray-green. Yeah. A key thing to note, by the way, something that we may come back to over and over again, for almost every movie Oliver Stone is involved with, there is, like, vehement criticism. That comes his way, even for things you wouldn't expect. Like Conan, got flack because of James Earl Jones, really as the villain. 
Why? Because it was almost seen as, like, racism. Like, you have, like, the one black character in the movie who's the villain is James Earl Jones, and he has to, and he faces off against, like, this guy who's, like, a super strong white man. Right. I don't know what to say to it. I, I don't agree with it. I mean, it is what it is. But yeah, it's... It's a good... I've seen Conan, and I... it's it's not something I would necessarily watch, like, at the drop of a hat. But for what it was trying to do, it was fun. It's It really feels like a product of its time. Yeah, yeah. it hasn't necessarily aged well. Oliver Stone's vision of it, like he talks about in the book, is like, I wanted to have like 12 Conan movies. This was like designed to be like Star Wars. Yeah. There is something to that, I think. The, the story by the of end Conan of the movie, is very slight. Yeah, because by the end of the story, he gets he becomes the king, and then he like walks away from it. Yeah, it's it it's it starts out with that narration by Mako, mm-hmm. where he's like, "I will chronicle the life of Conan," and we, and then it's like, "Oh, Conan did this," and then at the end, it's like, "And then he went on to be something even more awesome," but we won't make a <laughs> film about it. He was a destroyer. He became yeah. yeah. But now that you mention that, that makes a whole lot more sense. Oh, yeah. This was, like, the one time in his career that I think Oliver Stone was really going for, like, the franchise potential. And I think he maybe wanted to direct it himself at some point. But then, like, the one person who does not come off well in this book is Dino De Laurentiis. Like, Oliver Stone hates this guy. And yet he produced a lot of movies which vary in quality, but he is kind of important figure in cinema i mean he brought flash gordon he's like the King roger Kong. corman of something <laughs> <laughs> what like a flamboyant cinema maybe big budget epic he had right. more money than corman yeah he did king kong he did uh yeah it's king kong dune dune of course oh dune yeah <laughs> Uh, Year of the Dragon, which is his next film. Yes. Uh, Del Rentis did it. What else did he do? But he comes up a lot in this book as like, Tino Del Rentis was just such an idiot. Like, yeah. he just refers to him that as over and over again because he had, like, stone out all these good ideas. And he's like, nah, instead of doing that at the end of this movie, we'll just have a shootout. Like, it's Year of the Dragon. Year of the Dragon, yeah, which I was watching. Yeah, you're right. You're, yeah. What do you uh, think of Year of the Dragon? I like it. It's very gritty. Do you? Yeah. I mean, it's not... <laughs> Clearly, you have given the wrong answer. No, I'm sorry. That's the, that's the wrong way to, to like to say it to that. What do you I'm think sorry. of that film? I like well, it. Really? The, the... Really? That's what you think? <laughs> I like it. Are okay. you sure? In terms Sets of... your feelings. In terms of... Uh, no, I'm, 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 I should have phrased that better. <laughs> it's not a bad movie. In terms okay. of production-wise and performance-wise, mm. direction, screenwriting-wise, it's great. Um, I should mention for the listeners, in case you don't know, Year of the Dragon was the long-awaited question mark follow-up to Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. Yeah, five years. Um, yeah, he didn't make a movie for another That's five years. Five years. Um, this was his return to filmmaking with Mickey Rourke as this, like... Racist. Uh... Based, yeah, super hard-nail Vietnam vet cop who's investigating, like, Chinese drug triads, basically. Yeah, you got him. Yeah. I... The reason why I, I phrase it like that, I didn't mean to phrase because I know that this movie is liked by people. Maybe it is kind of a cult movie, perhaps. I... Something about his character is just so off-putting, it almost hurts the movie. 
No, you're right. I kind of feel bad for the guy. Or maybe that's what they wanted me to feel because they succeeded. I kind of feel he's like a hard-boiled, I don't know, Bogart type, you know, the, with the trench coat and the hat and always smoking. His wife dies. Spoiler alert, his wife dies. Oh, <laughs> for the two, for the many people who have not seen your... Ah, oh, damn it. They should, have um, seen, they should have seen it by now. <laughs> but still, what you're saying... It's been long enough. I think we can yeah. we can yeah. we, we can be generally spoiler free. But basically, even though he's as tough as nails character, he you still feel sorry for him at the yeah, end. Yeah, I mean, I feel a little sorry for him. I do. It's just like some of the things that they make his character say and do, like maybe like the some of the relationships he has with women seem a little bit off. Yeah, he's, it, he's married, but he's dating the reporter for some reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Like, so no, the movie works. It's just, maybe it just hasn't aged well to me. Probably. It's very, very again, 80s. Again, yeah, like like Conan's a part of its time. It's very 80s. Yeah, it's a and, very uh, 80s. Speaking of 80s, Scarface. Oh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the little pentagon. Woo, woo. Money, money. Yes. Now, now I feel really bad for being the one guy in the room who hasn't seen Scarface. And well, going yeah. back to um, you're a dragon. Uh, the, the deal, oh, I'm sorry. Real quick, the deal was uh, De Laurentiis promised him he'll make Platoon if you he'll write you're a dragon for Chimino. That's all I know. And then oh, okay. And then when you're yeah, dragon, yeah, 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 that that, is, that sounds about right. Yeah. And then when yeah. it was produced, it was time to make Platoon. He's like, yeah, we're not gonna do this. And yeah, so and, he was and like, Chimino oh, even and Chimino even offered to produce Platoon. Oh, okay. Well. Like, he, he wanted to try to back it, but Dale Lawrence was like, no, we're not doing it. They changed now. his mind, and apparently they settled out of court. Well, it was also like, I think Dale Lawrence said, I, I, I might pay for it, but I'm not going to, like, really back it. I'm not really going to distribute it the oh, okay. way that, you know, because he eventually, like, he was occasionally good to directors. I mean, the year that Platoon came out, like, he also, Dale Lawrence backed uh, Blue Velvet. Oh, wow. So. You know, he, he I think he that was his apology to David Lynch for Dune. For Dune, yeah. Um but uh yeah. I'm not sure who owes anybody an apology from, <laughs> for Dune. <laughs> David Lynch I think owes an apology to a great num- share of the audience. Yes. I think maybe uh Alejandro. a lot of people owe Alejandro Jodorowsky an apology. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But it's uh Lucas maybe and uh... Possibly. Why and what Kyle McLaughlin have to do with it? Well, didn't they take from his designs from the for the designs for Dune were then taken and made for Alien and Star Wars? And... Oh, well, you said Lucas. I thought. Do you mean Ridley Scott? Oh, Ridley Scott as well. Oh yeah, all the all those all guys. those guys, all the guys. Yeah. yeah, which has which have nothing to do with Oliver Stone. But I'm that's, sorry. No, 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 no. I I agree. Sting owes an apology to somebody. <laughs> he owns he owes an apology to the the creator of the Leotard. Mm. To the pe- to the creator of the speedo, I will kill him. <laughs> and and Stuart Copeland too, the, pol- the police dude. Oh oh okay. He was the leader of the police and yeah I know sting- I know sting- I was for a second I was trying to c- connect the two and I was like what Stuart Copeland oh yeah of course the police Scarface Scarface oh funny yeah three hours of three hours yeah man of like total like gangster madness. Also, kind of a controversial movie at the time, because of how it showed Cuban Americans. Yeah, every movie was in. Your Dragon was Chinese, Scarface was Cubans, and then uh, also Midnight Express, Turkish, Turkish people. Turkish prisons. Well, I Salvador think, were the Salvadorians, and what, then you know. What makes Scarface, I think, a little more 
objectionable at its time is that it was the first major film to feature Cuban Americans in a major role. Yeah, I and before... it was not, and it was not in a good light. But like played by Italians, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, actually, Stephen Bauer, I think, has some Col- Colombian. I think descent. he's. I think he's the only guy who actually. I actually uh, used to work, one guy. I worked with somebody oh, okay. who I used to work with somebody who was from Cuba, and. She she doesn't like the movie that much, and she finds Al Pacino's performance in it especially cartoonish. What? But she found Steve. <laughs> but she found Steve Bowers' uh, accent not bad. Like she said, like yeah. he actually got closer to it than Pacino could have ever done. Oh yeah. Hey. Well, he is a total like in that movie. They're like. There, like he, you know, some actors will choose scenery. He Tasmanian devils everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there is no stone unturned in that movie. I Even... told you, man. I told you. Yeah. I don't go good. <laughs> I don't go good. <laughs> Fuck. Can, uh, can, can we curse in this? Podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's fine. All right, um, great. if we, if we <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, that that movie it has intense parts. I almost feel like. Pacino might be actually my least favorite part of it because it has some strong direction. It has some yeah. fun writing. Uh, like, Stone wanted to direct, but by that time he had done The Hand, but it didn't do well. Mm. So they were like, I'm sorry, we can't give it to you. Your mo- movie didn't do well. We'll give it to the Palma oh, instead. Yeah. Well, we should bring up The Hand briefly because this is an interesting chapter because he originally, he, he started his career, a lot of people don't know this, with two horror films. One from 1974, which I can't really say much about because I haven't seen it, and I believe you haven't seen it, Romney. Um, I've re- read about it, but I haven't seen it now. Yeah. So All I know you is... haven't seen the movie. You've read the book. I know. I've read. I read, a, <laughs> I've read about the movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I have as well. Seizure was like this super low budget horror movie, featuring that guy. Is his name Herv Hervishelez? Uh, the guy, the little guy from Fantasy Island. Oh, oh that guy. Uh, Oh, I, I picture him in front of me. Yeah. Knickknack. Um. Yeah. Exactly. I um, think seizures about an artist who's having he gets um, assaulted by three like three demons. I think. Yeah. It it's a very dreamlike narrative. Then I think there's a surprise heard. twist where he wakes up and it turns out to be a dream, but then he foreshadowed his own spoilers d- death. I'm just I'm just <laughs> guessing. I'm just guessing. If anybody out there has seen Seizure, please yeah. call in. And meanwhile, the hand. <laughs> meanwhile, the hand is a movie which. Um, now this isn't in the book. This is just a rumor that Michael Caine did this movie so he could get a uh, a new garage added to his house. I wouldn't doubt it because at that time Michael Caine could have done any movie and he would have gotten a garage on, for his house. <laughs> I, it's like, what was he gonna do if he didn't do the hand? Like five other movies. <laughs> Michael Caine. Yeah. Michael Caine. That was his uh, paycheck. Is, paycheck is, movie? is that your Cuban accent version of Michael Caine? <laughs> Michael Caine. Michael Caine, man. I, I, I did Alfie, man. That, was, no, I'm not doing that well either. Uh, he was Alfie, but, yeah. But yeah, Michael Caine did a bunch of like low budget. Oh, Dress to Kill, he did. He did yeah. The Swarm. He did The Hand. I don't. I never saw The Swarm. Is it? Yeah, Killer Bees. And then he did, of course, Jaws of Revenge. Oh. Yes. Yeah, he did a bunch of movies basically just for the money, and The Hand was one of them. Yeah, Michael, I mean, yeah, Michael Caine was the Samuel L. Jackson well, of his time. The Hand has an interesting trajectory, though, because uh, it's it's a horror movie where Michael Caine is this cartoonist, and he does his hand get chopped off, or is it just that his hand gets injured? 
It gets chopped off. Okay, yeah. And then the ha- he starts having nightmares that the hand is going around killing people. Exactly. So it's almost like Evil Dead 2, years before yes. Evil Dead 2. Yes. Although not as good. <laughs> yeah. Then what is good? good you know what I was too. hoping a film called The Hand would be about? Mm. In Japanese folklore, there's this monster that's just basically a giant foot. Seriously, this exists. Well, like, not like, so not, Monty Python is... <laughs> Imagine that, except in Japan. Okay. And apparently all it does is crash through your roof and demand to be cleaned. <laughs> what? I want that, but with a hand. The, you know what? You know what you know would be amazing? You have a movie titled The Foot, and you get all of these anxious Ninja Turtle fans who want to see, like, a movie about, like, the Foot Clan. Because that's what they were called in the cartoon. They were just called The Foot. Which yeah. is supposed to be, like, actually a parody of The Hand from Daredevil. Yeah. And uh, and then you just get a bunch of disappointed people. The elbow. Seeing, seeing like, <laughs> the, the most... Seeing, <laughs> seeing the most bizarre kaiju movie ever. Yeah. Where... <laughs> but I just love this idea that this giant foot just... It comes... It just breaks into your house like the Kool-Aid man. Oh, and yeah. it's just oh, like... yeah. Clean me. And even though it's just a foot, it talks to you and says, Just clean the foot! Yes. That's what the hand should have been. Yes. Oliver Stone, your career is incomplete. Yes. Um, and one last screenplay crowd I wanted to mention. Uh, he did one movie which actually came out in 1986, you know, one of his banner years, called Eight Million Ways to Die. Oh, yeah. Directed oh. by Hal Ashby. His last movie, which among all of the scripts that he wrote, Jeff he Bridges. says this one got screwed with the most. And oh, he. Wow. Like, to the point where he actually says in the book, like, I wish my name wasn't even on the script. Like, they changed it that yeah. much. And, like, because he wrote it to be, like, this gritty New York City-based, uh, like, police movie. And they moved it to sunny Malibu. And, uh... I don't remember much about it. Jeff Bridges is in it, and... It's not terrible. That's all I remember. It has some interesting parts. It's kind of funny at times. Uh, you know, I mean, as far as... The director's final movie, I've seen worse. Okay. Like, sometimes a director's final movie will be, you know, a real shame that, you know, this was their final movie. Like, you know, Wes Craven with Screeform. Scream 4, yeah. That's why, well, I call it Screeform Scre- because it has the four oh, in okay. its yeah, title. You're right, you're right, yeah. Or whatever the hell Alfred Hitchcock did as his last film. Family Plot? That wasn't that bad movie. That's okay. With Bruce Dern again, he was in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're back. about to, like, deride that movie. You haven't even seen it. You don't know. <laughs> I don't know your plot. Um, but then, uh, eight million ways to die. Yeah, this movie. Yeah, it. From what I remember, it's been a long time since I've seen it. It. That also kind of an eighties feel. I. I. If I. If you asked me, do I sense any Oliver Stone in this movie? I have no idea. It's probably the one script from that period that gets kind of forgotten, and maybe rightfully so because. It apparently was like a bit of a mess of a production. Like it was supposed to be maybe something like a three, four million dollar production, and it became like eighteen million dollars. Oh, I hate that. And it was like a total flop. So, interestingly, that banner year, which we'll now get to, yeah, it was a total flop, Phil. But also, but then we get into Salvador and Platoon, where he finally gets like, it's amazing. Like he he tells a story where he was. Floundering for so many years, he wasn't able to make any of the movies he wanted to make. And then this one producer guy he met, this guy John Daly, was like, "Okay, which do you want to do first, Salvador or Platoon?" 
He chose Salvador for this. Yeah, he did Salvador because he was like, I, you know, he and he regrets it because he's like, yeah, I yeah, should have yeah. done Platoon first, but I thought nobody's going to let me make Platoon. Yeah, Salvador would have been bigger if Platoon came out first, as he says, right? Possibly. Well, or if more people would have seen it. Well, Salvador is a tough sell. So I don't know if you know much about what Salvador is, Andrew. It's a movie with James Woods and also Jim Belushi, I think, is like the other guy. Jim Belushi, you yeah. know quasi Hunter S. Thompson type yeah, of tale. Gonzo. Where almost. he's like a gonzo mm. journalist type who goes down to, uh, is it, oh, it, well, it's El Salvador. They go to El Salvador. And it's, it's in 1980 when uh, things were in total political upheaval down there. And you had, uh, was that the Sandinistas? Yes. Or is that a different group? Okay. Uh, I think it was the left wing, uh, like rebels, I believe. I think we can all admit that we don't know much about the conflict in El Salvador. I, I should know, considering I'm, I'm a little Latin and probably, you know. Yeah. Much... Yes, you should know everything, <laughs> that's, Romney, that's, about your... I, I feel kind of bad about that's, not knowing much about El Salvador either. Basically, but... he finds out that uh, the U.S. government was supporting the rebels, right, Jack? Yes. And then the rebels were taking advantage of this and doing other crazy stuff like killing... Innocent people and yeah, and no. nuns and priests. Oh my God. It's an intense movie, it, yet it's also it's it has at times some really. No, I'm not gonna say I don't know bizarre humor, but the character that James Woods plays, he's very much like a he's an unlikely hero because yeah. he's he's a drunk, he's kind of a waste of life. He people don't really take him seriously. He's one of those types of characters. But he's trying to be redeemed, like the country itself, Salvador, which is Spanish for to save. Yeah. Or, ah! Or to be saved. And he's trying to redeem Ooh, himself. And I didn't saved. even think about that. Yeah, and uh, I think he talked about that. Oh, you know, a little... And then uh, he's trying to get his girlfriend out of there, I believe. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, he meets a girl down there, and it's very difficult for her to leave because you need, like... Papers. Lots of Exit visas. Yes. Tra papers are transitive papers? Yeah, papers are transit. Go to Rick's. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> my dear Rick, I hear you have the papers of transit. No, not me. No. <laughs> I, was, I was watching it the other day, I'm sorry. Oh, I back, gotta watch Casablanca. Back to... No, that's actually not... That's a kind of an interesting comparison where... Yeah, but not quite the same. Oliver Stone's Casablanca <laughs> coming soon. He's making all these films. Where, Casablanca, Batman. Where Oliver Stone, yeah. Oliver, <laughs> We're just signing him up for Oliver everything. Stone's, Oliver Stone's Casablanca where he mixes in mixed <laughs> media and makes a comment about oh, how... Oh, don't even start with mixed... Oh. <laughs> Alright. Oh, we're gonna get to that. I'm really angry about something. All right. I'm just waiting to pound Calm something. Calm down. Okay. Alright. Alright, everybody now, be cool. Now, then we get to Platoon, which I, I first saw this in high school. And I, I, it, I mean, it, I want to say it made an impact on me then. I mean, I thought it was a good movie, but I feel like it's grown with me over time in stature to the point where I rewatched this movie just last night in preparation for this podcast. And something I really like about this movie is that, like, you have to look at it in the context when it was made, 1986. Because even though it's a movie about a story, you know, this story takes place in like 67, 68, it is in its way very much an 80s movie in the sense that at the time you had Rambo movies, you had the Chuck Norris missing in action movies, you had uh, Top Gun. Well, Top Gun, oh yeah, Top Gun, which also came out in 86. You had this movie called like Un. 
Common Valor? Yeah, you're right. Is that the right thing? Gene Hackman, yeah. Yeah. I think I understand what you're getting at, because I get that sense just by looking... I have not seen Platoon. But I do... But from everything I see of it, like every still, every picture, it has this sort of sheen to it. Like a Top Gun or a Rambo. Well, here's where... The, the thing about this movie, like, is a lot of it is it what, it what it builds up to. And a lot of times I've watched the movie, I've seen a lot of, like, I've seen bits and pieces on TV. I've, I'm sure I've watched it a couple times straight through. But this was the first time where it really hit me about the climax of this movie. That this, mo- this movie builds up to this gigantic battle climax at night where... Um, Ted Offensive, I believe. Well... Was it kind of depicting that? It's like I, I thought so. I'm, well, I it mean, was meant to kind of represent it. Much like there's also another set piece that's meant to be kind of like my lie, yeah, but no, it's not okay, my lie. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And but this climax impressions of well, Vietnam rather than specific. It's a incidents. really terrific action sequence. Just as far as chaos yeah. and lots of gunfire and people dying, but the Americans lose. It's like the Vietnamese are taking over this battle, this camp. And taking over the whole perimeter, and it comes. It gets to the point where, like the the head army sergeant or somebody in charge says, "All right, you gotta blow up the perimeter. I don't care. I'll take. I'll take the blame. All right. You know, Why? this is a hell of a fucking war." He says it basically like that. Or no, no. He says it's a lovely war. <laughs> he says it in those words, Deal and then die, right? everything everything blows up. And just at the moment where you think then, Tom yeah. Berger's about to. Yeah. Pull down the sword of Damocles on Charlie Sheen. The explosions go off. So it's this amazing action sequence, but it's also the Americans getting their asses handed to them. It's like you know the you, fo- the foe says it in the movie. We got our asses kicked so much. Is that bound to happen to us? Right? Remember? Yeah, yeah. Elias. Those words. Elias. Yeah, Willem Dafoe plays Elias. It's like the story of this movie. It's just following this guy, right. Charlie Sheen. He's a He's a new grunt, so to speak. That's what they're called going through Vietnam. And his experience in this platoon. And Willem Dafoe and Tom Berenger are kind of like two different maybe father figures. With Willem Dafoe being a little bit more of like a chill guy who's already been there since like 65. And now he's basically just smoking weed all the time and has like a red bandana. And tries to be pretty cool. And Tom Berenger is basically Oliver Stone's criticism of Rambo <laughs> and of that whole mentality. Let me ask you a question. For those characters, what is Willem Dafoe's character's rank? He's a sergeant. Well, okay. Sergeant now what is, is sergeant Now Barnes. what is Tom Berenger's character's He's rank? also a sergeant. They're both sergeants? Yes. Huh. Interesting. But, uh, so, but like, this guy, so, like, they're both sergeants. They report to somebody who's higher to them. But, I mean, this is also part of the plot of the movie where there's betrayal and uh, back little backstabbing and all sorts of things happen. I won't go into much into it, but... And romance and intrigue. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's There's almost one moment, Romney, I think you know what I'm talking about, where the two characters share a look and uh, you see this close-up while Willem Dafoe's oh, yeah. face just kind of falls. They, they, they smile. And they're, they're, he's smiling and he looks at him and, it's like, and then he frowns. And Barnes has his gun up and he doesn't put the gun down. Yes. And then, you get what I mean. And, then, and basically, the, if you've seen the iconic image of the poster, yeah. that's Willem Dafoe. Okay. Um, that's one thing, like, I almost want, like, it's funny that in the book, Stone says it was a little hokey, which I kind of agree. It's like... I have my arms up to the sky. 
It's funny you say that because um, someone had done like an analysis of Platoon about being it almost like a supernatural, almost like a godly, as if they were on a godly mission and dying in battlefields, almost like a warrior. Hmm. And him doing that pose, kind of like going to the heavens or. Well, well it's, it's, and, it's and and at the end when uh, Barringer has about to kill him with the axe or whatever, hmm. with the knife. I don't forget yeah. what it was. His eyes lit up, almost well, like very devilish, like. Well, fascinating thing, um, and this this is a question that Seitz brings up to Stone, actually in the section about Alexander, which is this whole idea about myth. Right. And if, yeah. like, if people can really, if they'll get the power of myth, even if they don't know, like, a particular story. And he talked about how with Platoon, he felt like, I can't, I can't just do, like, a straight documentary about, or some type of more... Yeah, and already Platoon has a documentary feel right. in some ways, but he also tries to lift things up into a mythic status yeah. in some ways. It's almost like Apocalypse Now. So that it, well, Dro- well, well, Apocalypse Now goes way into that. It's super mythic, as, yeah. he, as he calls and I it. Think, and I think I think Apocalypse yeah. Now might be the strong, slightly stronger movie and Deer because Hunter of that. Also, yeah, yeah. Hunter is a little bit more not realistic. It's super. It's like. Surrealistic. Yeah, but but another interesting point watching it again was uh, Apocalypse Now is 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 a very intangible film. You right. can't really there's there are no big gunfights. There are no major battles. Well, no, there. Not not, there, not the battle with Robert Duvall and like the the all the all the chop copters coming into the village. That's just basically like a slaughter. <laughs> I mean, there are gunfights, so but it's really usually like battle. it's you know when they come on when the boat comes upon that that sampan just in the river and they just machine gun all those people. There's really nothing mm. glorious about anything that happens in Apocalypse Now. I see. Okay. Now platoon, you're saying. talking about a big action sequence at the end where there it's, are it's there kind are of like this set of, piece where matched. yeah. It's 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 the set piece where you have one side against another, yeah. where there's a clear battle and you're you're against somebody. Uh, but Apocalypse Now doesn't have any of that. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It uh, like, it, it doesn't. It, it's more about like the actual journey up the river and all these crazy things that happen, which I feel like it it lends itself to such a status that it goes. You can look at it as an ult- an ultimate Vietnam movie, but it also could be about a lot of wars. Yeah. Well, it it also helps that it's based upon a book that has nothing to do with Vietnam. Yes, yeah, and that it took five hundred goddamn years to film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking exactly. of, uh, didn't you make? Fun, did you talk about Animaniacs before? Yes. They did an episode where they made fun of Apocalypse. Oh yeah. Yes, you showed that to with me. it with uh, with its own parody of Jim Morrison. The end and the, yes. the beginning. Yes. So we go into a good segue into another Stone film, but that's much later. Well, no, you know what? Let's talk a little bit then about. Uh, we can jump around a little bit. This is gonna be entirely linear. Jump around. So he jump around. Okay. Jump, jump up, jump, jump up, and get, get down. down. Jump, jump, jump. jump Oliver jump. Stone, jump, jump. Crisscross, jump. Seriously, though, let's let's not jump around. Let's go to the next one. Yes. Hey, 